Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So, tonight we're still going to be talking about equipping. Yes. And y'all got all triggered up about the trigger, and I wasn't even talking about the trigger. I think my people have been getting triggered. I want to tell on them, but I'm not going to. But it's kind of, triggers are fun, right? Anybody been triggered this week? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I think V's got it. I want to set this up a little bit. So um, I love Graham Cook. If you have the religious spirit, you should spend your entire life just watching him, I think, you know, in your spare time because he'll mess you up. You know, have you have you ever... I know, I pretty much know in here, I'm not. I'm trying not to look at y'all, who have the religious spirit still talking to you. My belief is that the religious spirit is, um, I think somebody wrote, it's jail, isn't that what you wrote? Yeah. Um, that it's, um, it has a mission. And um, I, I want to talk just, this is my commercial before I get to equipping, but this is part of what happens for us to not be able to hold on to seed is due to partly the religious spirit, a lot of times the Judas spirit, sometimes the political spirit. There's just different opposition to every seed. So um, I'm trying to give you a good example of it, but I don't have one right now. But I was thinking, and Mendel and I created this statement together. It was good. The religious spirit wants us to have black and, li- black and white laws. That's, that's the religious spirit's goal. That's why if you were raised, most of you were raised in a pastor-led church, in a denominational church, I'll say that. You know, Baptist, Assembly of God, Nazarene, whatever. Pentecostal holiness, whatever is that? Um, you were raised in you were you were raised with the religious spirit. In other words, the religious spirit sat next to you while someone is an orator over your life, right? And so it really reeks of poverty, and it reeks. It loves the welfare system where. It wants everyone else to work, and and it doesn't want to take. It doesn't want to be the ownership of stewardship. That's why that that you stay hooked in poverty is because it's the same reason why women stay in an abusive relationship because they feel like God um, would be mad at them um, to not be submissive to their husband. That all of that's the religious spirit. You know, every addiction is born out of the religious spirit. And so, oh, me and Cheryl got that going. So you have to know the author of things, or sometimes you're just kind of swatting at flies and you never really get a lot of freedom, you know. But it loves this black and white laws without relationship. Because it's confident. Listen, if you struggle with the religious spirit, I really want to name y'all, but this is what's going on with you, is that... When you read scripture, then you see it as black and white laws as opposed to having discernment about what the Holy Spirit's really speaking. And usually the people with a lot of religious spirits don't, they either read scripture to prove, you know, it's those guys on YouTube, man, they're on there. And I I watched one the other day because I just can't, I think they're the funniest thing. And he had decided not to sue Joe Osteen. And I was thinking, wow, great choice. I mean, because, you know, he just tried, he, he, for almost a whole month, he tried to get a hold of Joel and he couldn't get a hold of him on YouTube. And he's looking so dumb as he's saying it. And I'm thinking, maybe in heaven, he'll look at that YouTube video and go, what? But he's an idiot. I'm saying it now. That's what we look like when we have the religious spirit. We act 
so articulate, or we cho choose the other route. We're the victims, and we look so pitiful. No one can ever solve it. This black hole of victimhood. No one ever can make a system that works. And, and the fact, the Bible doesn't work. That's why we don't want to do it or read it. And so... What that's that is form without power. That is, I want to the benefit of Christianity, but I want to live out Christianity like it's the law. And so, the Holy Spirit's discernment is has to be learned. It don't be reading that, don't be reading that. We're not looking at that screen right now, y'all. Y'all are listening to me right now. Don't put that up there. They can't help it. And they're looking at all the hashtags. Thank you. I'm almost done, and you can watch it. So what happens with the religious spirit, especially in Scripture, if there's any contradictions or challenges, then that makes that, that religious spirit become nervous. And so then they seek out to get a foothold. They're nervous because why? Their hope was based on black and white living. And when, when that gets shaken up, they don't know any truth because it proves they had no idea what a relationship was. And see, when God comes and does that for you, you should be saying thank you. Because he came and did that for me and I wallowed around in the bed for about a month and then he said, get up. And so I got up, you know. But I had to give up black and white thinking. I had to, I had to deny the religious spirit over and over. And so, so what happens is our whole world and belief system, according to the religious spirit, gets blown up because of what we feel like is a contradiction. That's why some people can't stand that a woman is preaching. You know, I watched Lisa Bevere today, and she said that literally somebody on social media said that if a woman is preaching, she's a witch. <laughs> See, this is what you're, you have to understand, that religious spirit is, thinks it's so right. And so when God triggers that in you, I'm wanting to trigger it right now, because you can have no relationship without knowing the word, without being discerning by the Holy Spirit, without yielding. You can have no purpose, no discernment, no relationships. Nothing's going to work out. See, because everything is based on the truth that I know it. And so when you go, especially those who have the religious spirit talking to them, when they go to read the word, it speaks to them about this way they cannot live, which is black and white, and you can't live that way. And so Graham has a great little snippet, and I hope we get to start it at the beginning. We'll see how we do. A false teacher is someone who misrepresents the language of the epistles in order to overrule the language of Jesus in the Gospels. I kind of think that Jesus takes precedence over Paul. And to believe the opposite of that is not to be Bible-believing. Jesus came saying, you have heard it said, but now I say. He came from heaven to teach us the mindset of heaven, the perceptions of heaven, the language of heaven. All he talked about was his Father who is in heaven. He taught us to pray from heaven to earth, and he opens up our whole personality to understand that now you are in this world, you are not of it, but now you belong to this other realm that I belong to. And we're going to teach you that language, that perception, because your destiny here on earth is to be a citizen of heaven here on earth. Yeah. Okay, what did you hear him say? Anybody? No? Okay, okay. What else y'all get? What's the point of me playing that?
Yeah, because I think in the religious spirit, more time is spent where Paul was spending time correcting little entities that were trying then what Jesus is. You know, that's why it's so important to read the red letters, to really understand what Jesus says and with the Holy Spirit, discern how to apply that to your life on an everyday basis. Yeah, there's all, Paul wrote amazing things and we love all the things he wrote, but see, it's that, it's that thing in the religious spirit that needs everything to be precisely accurate. So like when, even when I'm trying to counsel somebody, if I don't hit all the squares and all the corners of every little thing that the, that they think, then it doesn't apply. And that's the same thing that happens with the trigger. You know, and in any time that the Holy Spirit's breathing on a, a freedom word, which is what he's doing right now, he's trying to realign and change some of our definitions, then those who have partnered with the religious spirit, and I'm telling you the way to break it is the word. The word is the way to break the religious spirit because then you actually have, most people who have the religious spirit I think they've spent more time thinking about what they believe, like that will benefit them. You know, just like someone who, I mean, back in my day, it was prominent that men would say to women that they needed to be submissive. They didn't know anything about what those stories were about, where they were written, what they did, no investigation, if that was truth. Why were they okay with that? Because it, it had a benefit to them. They could do whatever they wanted. They would come home and sit in the lazy boy and get waited on. How many had a father like that? And that was because all of y'all saw that model. That was the role that they decided. I mean, I remember the first time my dad did some dishes. I was older was not a child right so see that forget the dishes part y'all are all appalled at that i could tell but it happens it's happening right now to some of y'all in the room with the the attitude we have in our hearts or with what we allow and generally it's an imbalance where men right they think they deserve, they worked hard, they deserve to do nothing when they get home, and women are to just take care of the house and do everything, laundry, kids, everything, right? There's just, it's already existing, even, even if we don't call it the religious spirit, but that's where it came from. Yeah. It was established a long, way before you got to the planet. And so then for women to stand up and say, well, that's not acceptable, then we're like this, oh gosh, we're just feminists then. I mean, like, what in the world are you? And who do you think you are, right? And it's really just an imbalance. And that religious spirit loves that because you know why? No progress can ever be made. No one will ever do their destiny. And that's all he cares about. He doesn't care where it started, how it infiltrates your home and life. It's just nobody's about the Father's business. It's just true. All right, well, that was all free. I felt way more stronger about it than y'all receiving it. But that's okay. So my queen, she shot out a matter. And so she's going to come up and share. I told everybody to read my scripture on Sunday and Luke 6. And she did. And she has some items she wants to launch us out with. I'm going to sit down while you do that. Okay. I pulled it up there. Perfect. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so Tisa told us to read Luke 6, and so I did. And especially off of the heels of what she preached on Sunday about equipping and about us being sons and daughters and not orphans, I read from the start and got down to the part where Jesus goes into the infamous Beatitude sermon. It was so crazy because I had this whole new lens in mind with reading it because I had just, you know, her word was still fresh on my mind about not being orphans and what the orphan spirit robs us of, truly. And so when I read 
the beatitude sermon in Luke 6, it was mind-blowing. Because whenever Jesus is talking about you're blessed when, you're blessed when this, you're blessed when that, you're blessed when you're persecuted, you're blessed when you're in hunger and you're in dire need, you're blessed. It at first has all these negative sounding connotations to it, but he flipped it on its head. And he said that, well, an orphan would think, I don't want any part of that. An orphan would say, oh, no, far be it from me that I would have to endure hardship. Far be it from me that I would have to have persecution and be treated wrongly, that I have to have lack or need and all these things. But he said, really, that is the invitation to true sonship. That's the invitation to being a daughter and a son because you will have access to everything that's in your account in those moments. And that's why I call it You Are Blessed. So I wrote just these little key kind of nuggets from it. That in Luke 6, Jesus is addressing the orphan spirit. But he's turning the perspectives into sonship perspectives. We could either remain as orphans or we can seek that these places of lack actually qualify us as God's children to be filled with each of the Beatitudes when he says, you're blessed when. Jesus flipped orphan, orphan thinking on, his, on its head. He's opening us up to our accounts that we have access to as our birthrights. <laughs> so he's actually showing where the access points are <laughs> that we have access to directly in those moments. And so when you go down on and read, the whole, the whole, all of chapter 6 is actually about revealing our positions as daughters and sons. So even down in like verses 27 through 26, Jesus is empowering us as daughters and sons to rise as God's children in love. He's inviting us to go the extra mile and to not let persecution make us small. We stay big and empowered by exercising our choice to love despite enemy pushback because we're tied to the source of our father. So we're empowered to love and serve and give above lack. This is our royal authority and operation at its best. And so what was really crazy was at the very end of this chapter, you know, Jesus goes on and he says that basically he's painting two pictures. He's painting the first picture of to truly be fathered by God and to truly be a daughter and a son and to receive the fullness in those moments of real pain. He doesn't belittle it. He doesn't negate it. But he says, I have these solutions. I have these answers. I have prosperity of soul in every single one of these scenarios. And you, so Jesus describes that you will be overflowing with joy. You'll start to spin and dance. You'll start to have this opposite effect in the spirit because you're being filled up by my fathering. And at the end of that chapter, he describes the people that would choose to actually be fathered by getting their needs met only through the soul and only by soulish and worldly comfort. And he says that those people actually be in great sorrow because they're exchanging and they're allowing the world to, and the father of lies to actually comfort them. So when we deny ourselves those moments where we could actually embrace the fathering, when we deny that, then we're actually saying, I'd rather be fathered by the world. I'd rather be fathered by this temporary comfort instead of being truly taken hold of as a child and to have eternal prosperity of soul. <laughs>
I mean, I would say that they're, depending on how you invest your time, but also just years of time need to click away that, you know, I think John Paul used to say it takes 12 to 15 years just for God to make a profit out of a human being because of all that needs to be restructured in their life. Because if you think about it, if we're called in these fivefold offices, if we're called to equip the saints until they come, until we come into unity, then if you've spent any time trying to get your three parts in unity, then when you step into that office, you're doing that for other people. So that means you would be there. So, you know, I know some of y'all think you're apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors. Yeah, we, they're, they're dumped off to the side now. But, just kidding. That's a joke for all you pastor people. What happened was in the restoration of the gifts when the pastor led, when the pastor gift was restored by God, then, um, and, and he, he says it this, he says, when we keep asking that question, what, which office do I have? There's an undertone of the desire for a title and status of significance. And see, that's why it's imperative that I'm not partnered up with the religious spirit or strongholds, but, but I don't need significance from people because you can't lead people when you need significance from them. When you need a title or you need to prove who you are, you're not leading. When you hate to be inconvenienced or you can't manage your soul, you're not leading. And so I believe God gave every single human being a desire in their heart to be a leader. I do. I do believe that. But if we can't lead ourselves, we will never lead other people. And you know whether you can lead yourself. Can you get up at the same time every day? Can you get before the Lord every day? Can you read the Word every day? Can you pray in tongues without ceasing? Can you praise Him no matter what? There's just a few basics. I mean, I even looked, I think, did I write this down? Hang on, I think I got it. I think it was, yeah, it was little Craig Groeschel, you know. He says, the potential of your ministry is a direct reflection of the quality of your habits. Wow. I mean, that's a good line, right? Yeah. It's the things that no one sees that brings the results everyone wants. Excellence is never an accident. Excellence is always the result of intentional and consistent habits. Our importance isn't a reflection of what we do, but who we empower. And it's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. So those are just, he's all about leadership too. Those are just some leadership characteristics because your habits determine your fruit or your results on a day that you don't know. You know, I like it when people come to themselves and they're, they tell me how they've been doing something for two whole weeks. And I'm like, okay. I intentionally, this is intentional if you've done this to me, and a lot of you have. I intentionally wait to respond to you. Why? Because you have got no epiphany. You are a two-week baby. Let's talk in two years. But see, we don't, we don't, do we have that fortitude? Do we really? See, when we've had so much instant gratification and entitlement, 
Listen, you know, I was I was thinking today that um, where did I write that down? I had a good thought. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. Oh, come on now. Yeah. So I was talking about this earlier. Let's read it real quick. It's 1 Peter 5. I think I, put it as, I made a slide. You know, this equipping definition. You want to reread that real quick? Let's yeah. reread that. Um, v, I think that's, let's go down to uh, number 8. To fit together perfectly an exact fit by adjusting or mending for its full destination or use to bring together over and over again, even after faltering. That's true equipping. So that's that sounds like something to me. Sounds like a process, right? How many of you know that even if you're laying in bed doing nothing for God, something's being equipped? The reason why some of us have such a hard time getting over our own soul is because it's so well equipped. It's so well equipped with me in mind. Right? And so this scripture I want to read it to is, um, let's go down to number, well, let me, let me start at the top because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up. So I've got this scripture, James 1.25. Listen to this. this. is a great scripture. It is impossible to open your eyes and take in the beautiful, perfect truth found in God's law of liberty. Where's that? It's in the word and live by it. If you pursue that path and actually do what God has commanded, then you will avoid the many distractions that lead to amnesia of all the true things and you'll be blessed. What happens when we get amnesia? Distractions. Just think for a minute. How long do you hang on to a truth? See, I love shooting. See, when I say something about a scripture, there's an anointing, there's a breath of God on it. And when someone goes and reads what I've talked about, the breath of God comes into them and he's trying to breathe on something inside that needs to be changed. But that's, why, that's the difference between being a hearer or a doer, Right? Listen, in the kingdom, you have to be both. See, the entrance of the kingdom was free. Not by any works of you, because you know what you'd do. <laughs> I got saved. <laughs> I did all the 12 steps, and I'm saved now. I did it. We'd make a whole program out of it. How to get saved program. What did Jesus do? He made it free so nobody could boast. Right? And then he calls. What does he call? He called you up on the phone. Hey, I've called you sons and daughters, right? I've called to train you, to teach you, to equip you to be more than you were as an orphan. And see, if I don't, that's what she was saying. If I don't intertwine with the word, then he has no ability to breathe on something that I believe that's not him. So when I read the word, it should offend me. Because none of us have all arrived. I haven't arrived. It should offend me. It should have what? Offend the places in me of unbelief. But see, if I read it with a religious spirit, then I want there to be some rules and ways I can guarantee will happen without me thinking. Come on, wake up. In that moment, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to breathe on something to get out of the way the very thing that actually has conflict in you. Why does it have conflict? Because as an orphan, someone taught me to believe something, and now the Word is saying you can't believe that, and I have a choice. Am I going to live by this? Because it has comforts. The nature of an orphan is I do not want to steward my life. I want someone else to. And hopefully, if I'm a good orphan, I will not even have to work. 
I'll come up with a disability. I'll come up with some problem. I'll get some diagnosis. I'll get some disease. I'll get something so I can what? Stay in my orphanism and then all the other people that steward their life work for me. And see, in the kingdom, it's the ownership of stewardship, and it's the rewardable life. And I start living with eternity in mind now. And see, when I do that life, I begin to die to the inconvenience of orphanism. Orphanism is the epitome of independence. And so he's saying, listen, let me read it to you in another version. It says, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty. The word is the perfecting liberty. You will be changed. Don't read the Bible tomorrow and then call me and say you read it. Read it until it changes you. If you read a verse and you don't get it, Keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it, keep asking it, keep looking up stuff about it. Are fascinated and respond to truth they hear and see and are strengthened by it. They experience, I know I threw C in there for three off. They experience God's blessing in all they do. In all they do. I experience God's blessing in all I do. Do you? Well, you need to gaze a little longer. See, there's a point of gazing until then you see everything through the lens of the Father. You know, I sent out that word the other day about that scripture that the eye of the Lord is running to and fro. I love it for a word. And on the earth to what? To see who he could what? Show himself strong. God is looking for a human being on the planet to go be Mr. Big Shot in their life somewhere. Where do you need a Mr. Big Shot? Where do you need a God? I can't think of a place I don't need one. Can you? But especially in places that are a qualifying event. Right? We kind of don't need him so much when it's going good. And we kind of forget about him until we're like, oh, yeah, God did that. I thought I did. I thought I got this air I breathe. I thought I just went and bought that. I thought I constructed myself out of sand. Right? So this, this gazing deeply. Have you ever looked at anything a really long time? Sometimes I just look in the mirror at my eyeballs because my eyes used to be Tessa's color completely chocolate brown and sometimes I just look at them and I'm like what happened to you like I try to look at all like they're like a rainbow color in there now they're really random and it's weird to see something about yourself change so dramatically from where it used to be and see that's how he wants you to see what he's doing in you Get focused on something. I mean, there's a lot of my other parts that are way bigger than they used to be. I don't really look at them that much. I used to be shooty size. I clearly feel like I'm that same size now. I don't care what you say. I don't look at those parts. I focus on the part. See, that's what we need to do about our life. He's the author, the finisher, the perfecter. So... That's part of being equipped by him. It's part of being equipped by somebody who's an equipper. I have some things you need. There's some people in this room that are equippers and they have things I need. Cece's an equipper. So when she goes, look at the moon, then I go out and look at the moon. It's, been, it's transformative to be equipped by somebody that sees the things of God different than you do. And see, I see a lot of things that she doesn't see yet, and she sees some things I don't see yet. That It's that interaction of, of 
truths and ideals that we've heard from the Holy Spirit breathing that begin, I mean, like the other day when I was trying to explain to her this thing I'm feeling about this religious spirit and this black and white and there's no relationship and I'm just talking all and making a big circle and then she comes in and says, well, is it like this? And then she just gives me that one line. I'm, yeah, it's like that. All of that that I said was fun, but no one would understand it. You see what I'm saying? That there's things, that's why we're making these teams. I'm not making these teams because I'm bored. I don't know if you know this, but they're a lot of work for me. They're a lot of work for the people who are trying to lead them. They're a lot of work. But why are we even doing it? Why are we even doing it? He's preparing and equipping us for something we don't have yet. Don't tell me about where you used to be and some church you used to be at and what you used to do. I can just tell you whatever you did there, this isn't that. And so it's an invitation for preparation. It's not about doing the thing. It's just like I'm saying, it's not a black and white rule where I'm going to make up a bunch of rules and everybody follows after it. It's, a, it's actually about learning to discern with the Holy Spirit what's on his heart and to get some people together for them to do that together. It's teaching you a principle that is not even for the thing you're working on. <laughs> so... In this hope perfecting, the very first scripture he talked to me about is this first Peter. And the number one thing that he mentioned to me was this to strengthen, the strengthening and perfecting and completing, to make a person what they should be. That's the first part of equipping. Think about that for a minute about yourself. See, when I'm not being who God said for me to be, How do I know that? Do I have fruit? Does love abide all the time? Am I independent, selfie? All these things that are easy to spot. Then God has to come in and he has to rearrange that. So listen to this great scripture. 1 Peter 5.10. I mentioned this before in worship. Yeah. It says, after your brief suffering... And I told you what that suffering was. The God of all loving grace who has called you to share in his eternal glory. Wow, what a privilege right there. You did nothing great. You don't deserve it. You are invited to share in Jesus' eternal glory. You didn't die on a cross or nor were you resurrected. And you have an invitation to share in something you cannot work for. Y'all don't even understand what glory is at the level he's talking about. But that's the invitation. That's what he's doing. He, that guy that did all that, Jesus, after you suffered a little bit, you're going to personally and powerfully be restored And it's going to make you stronger. And then he'll set you firmly in a place. And then what he'll do? He'll build you up. That's what he's doing. This is this process of equipping. Try to not avoid any of these steps. Try not to want to get to the firm place before you actually experience his comfort. Listen, that's what I wrote down for you. This this word, suffering. It's, it's a qualifying event. I made a little slide for it. It says, this word suffering is after you've experienced something that would qualify as hard, painful, sad, etc. Then Jesus comes personally and powerfully to restore you. What is your qualifying event? For all you people who don't want to have needs, you can't think of any right now because you're just like, you're golden. Right? But you've all had one. Some have had some today. Have you ever had one of those days? I had one of those days today where I had an amazing bit of news, and I had some crappy news, and then some amazing news, and then more crappy news. It just kept happening, and I kept going, wow, I, whoo, I mean, God, ah, ah. Anybody have that? 
It's like, I don't want the phone to ring the next time because I can't, I don't know which one it's going to be on. But it's just almost exhausting that it's not consistent. That's life. That's life. And so that's why we need a Jesus. That's why we need somebody bigger, stronger, more powerful, knows more than us, right? To come in, in this equipping process, it's making me what he sees that I should be. You understand that's the travesty of not having good parenting. It's the travesty in this generation that we forgot the scripture, raise a child in the way the child should go. What we do is we raise them in the way we didn't get to go. And we try to make them what we didn't get to do when we were young. Right? Come on, think about your parents for a minute. They try, Remember how they tried to say things that hopefully would help you avoid something they did, but they modeled everything for you to do just exactly what they did and be exactly like them. All the while saying, oh, don't do that. That proves what to us? We learn more from modeling than words. That's why God's raising up equippers to live and not just use words. Words are cheap. Give me somebody with some experience, some fruit, some longevity. Hung out a while, been at a job for five years. Right? We're always wanting to hop around because what are we looking for? That's going to be easier. That's going to pay more. Or we do the opposite. Like I said, we just find the lowest life job we can and we don't even know how crappy it is. We're just doing it because we got it. And we say things like, they really like me. Well, yeah, they would because that's a crappy job. That's what we, that's how we live. Come on, let's be honest. We don't take it as an ownership of something. It's just something to go do that I have to go do so I can eat and sleep. That's, that don't have anything to do with what God set up. Zero. And so somebody has to come along and re-equip you and change your mind about all the stuff that you got quirky thoughts about that don't have anything to do with the Word or God or nothing, right? And then you wrestle and get defensive. That word I sent out about the eyes were into Did you notice that they put the seer in jail? The guy that came by and said, uh, you're doing what? (laughs) How often do we do that? How often do, am I telling you something I'm seeing in your life and you put me in jail of offense? Teresa, I'm offended at her for, I'm going to be, I have people that are offended at me for two years. I'm over there in jail in their life. I have no voice. The seer has no voice. Because I personally got offended by the thing I was doing that they just pointed out. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro to see who he can strengthen, show strength. And he's in that scripture it said, but you chose to follow a man. And the very thing you chose the man for was to keep you out of war. Since you didn't choose God, you're going to have war. That's how it works. When we choose, listen to me, when you choose people over God, you'll have the thing that you thought the person that you were conniving and manipulating in your own soul to get them to do for you, you'll have the very thing that you didn't want to have. You see, that's our soul. So our soul, that's why I sent that repentant word. You've got to live from that place of constant repentance. You've got to live from the place, oh my gosh, all the good in me is you, God. And then the cool thing about God is He expects you to live like you're repented. You don't even get to use the I've done bad song. 
He didn't even care about that. Isn't that weird? The one thing that you have to feel pain from doing is the very thing that you don't get to act like you even did. Make that leap. Watch him anoint you. I've been trying to teach Cece about the anointing a little bit because it's so weighty. Depending on the weight of the word, it can make her really physically, you know, we're just got these grassy, sandy bodies, right? And the anointing's weighty. The more she steps into this anointing with me, the more weighty it gets. And so there's an effect on your body, right? But she's got to be careful. God gave her this whole word about it. I hope she eventually gets it all together. But that weightiness in that moment, she can get nervous and think, as an over-responsible would, I'm not doing enough, right? And see, that's, it's just the effect of the anointing. See, we have to understand how God works with us. He's not mad at her that she needs a day off. Listen. So in this scripture, I, I want us to read it in um, slide number 15. After you suffered a little. So we got that suffered word change in our minds, right? Did everybody change it? No? Okay, well, if you don't change it, when you read this, you're going to be all whippy and whiny. It's the moment that God's coming in strong. You needed one of those qualifying events. Man, I hope y'all can change your mind on this because it says the God of all grace will do these things. Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now let's just look at those real quick. Perfect. Number 14. Yeah. Perfect is equip, fit together perfectly. That's perfect. Who's doing that fitting together? Who's doing the fitting together? Y'all don't know? It's him, not you. Him. These are his things. He'll confirm. Steadfastly fixed makes stable. Who needs some stability? Your soul needs so much stability. It's so weird. If you let it run you all over the place, you will run all over the place. Right? That's what I was saying. So today, whether I get good news or bad news, it's all the same. Have, have you gotten to the place yet where you get not so great news and you just wait? You breathe, you wait, and you're like, something amazing is going to happen with this right here. Feel it. Feel it. Have you got there yet? No? Are you still freaking out? Make firm, make constant, strengthen. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going to strengthen where? Your soul. Your soul needs so much strength. Doesn't it? He's going to establish, lay the foundation. My last point, I'm going to preach more on this on Sunday, but I was thinking today about we have relative suffering. In other words, it's relative to how I see it. Like when we went to Haiti, they really weren't worried about the speed of the Wi-Fi. I mean, it's just like it wasn't a thing. You know what I mean? Like they weren't like calling Cox or anything because they were mad. Right? We were just hoping to get a clean bag of water that, you know, we could poke a hole in that was 95 degrees. I'm going to go set some bags of water outside and put dirt all over them and then we'll serve those up. That's what we were getting. We were just hoping. Does anybody have one of those bags of dirty water that I can poke a hole in and drink it because that we were desperate for water? We don't have nothing like that going on, do we? And so that suffering, I'm telling you, we've got to change our mind because in that moment, just like the trigger, in that moment, he's coming in to do something with his power to reveal his glory in you. What is his glory? What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? He basically couldn't do it on his own, right? He called out to his father. I think that that would be a qualifying event. What, 
Is the is the cross the qualifying event? Right? But guess what he did? He knew that the Father had the power to raise him. Do you know that the Father has the power to raise you? Not only raise you from the dead, but raise you as a father. Do you know that tonight? That's part of the equipping process. It's part of something you are going to personally in your life have to go through something to discover that if you're going to be on your way to being an equipper. I don't think the father's heart is that we stay in a position where I only get equipped my whole life. His invitation in this season is to become an equipper. And when we do that, we can walk in his glory. Come on, Mendel. Wow. The Holy Spirit is all over this message in so many ways. I am just bewildered at what he even wants me to share right now because... Everything that's being said and shared is just ping, 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 ping. Like line for line things I wrote the other day that nobody even knows and all sorts of stuff. Maybe that's all I'll say. He's on it. (laughs) So it was interesting, though, just to um, what I do want to emphasize that I literally asked him the other day, how do I receive your comfort? because I know he has a heart for comforting us. I know he put us in this world and he knew what we were going to, you know, encounter. So how do we access comfort? And he had me ask that question without me knowing anything about this message. And so I know that's on his heart. And I know that some of you are probably experiencing something to make you need to ask that question. Okay. So maybe that's just the thing you, maybe you should ask him, how do I receive your comfort? Because a lot of us I know are really good at surviving at this stage of our lives. You know, we're just really good at, we've got a lot of coping mechanisms and we're really, really good at that. And what I found when I was talking with him about this the other day is that my coping mechanisms are so automated that I hardly, I have to intentionally stop them to choose to put myself in a position to receive comfort from him. Because they're so, they so automatically send me into coping. I mean, talk about a trigger. I don't even recognize it's a trigger because I just assume that's normal. You know, this is what you do. This is just what you do if you're experiencing some pain. So I know that he's wanting us to ask ourselves some of these questions about what is our go-to response when we need comfort or we need a solution or we need, it's not just comfort, but whatever your need is, you know. I think a lot of us are missing even identifying what the need is. Sometimes when we get triggered, we just want the trigger to stop. And we want the conflict between us and whoever's triggering us to maybe even be better. But we don't even really recognize what is underneath it and what's behind it. And so I think he's wanting us to ask that. But one of the things that I learned, I'm not going to read my whole thing today because it was a lot. But um, maybe another time. But one of the things that I, he drilled down and showed me was that basically we will receive nourishment from him for the things that we entrust him with. So it's a simple matter of if we are still trying to be the manager of ourselves, we're the ones trying to manage our problem, our need, our, our need for comfort, whatever it is, our pain, our confusion, our hurt, whatever it is, our lack, whatever we're perceiving. If we are the ones trying to meet that, then we are actually enslaving our souls, is what he was telling me. And he led me on this whole thing about how we are so against slavery. I mean, if anybody asked about slavery nowadays, we'd be like, no, absolutely not. That's, that was a horrible, atrocious time in the history of humanity that people were enslaved, right? And so, and we know we don't definitely don't want to pe- for people to be enslaved. But what he was showing me is that we are literally enslaving our own souls, just like the story of the leper that share, uh, Tisa shared the other day was that the lepers, if you think about it, they had been so hurt by the religious culture 
being outcast and called disgusting and filthy and unclean because of the disease that they had. But they were running to those people to be told that they could be clean again. They were running back to the people who had so hurt them and abused them so that they could speak their words over them and keep them in the bondage to that system. And that's what he's trying to show us, that we are doing that with our own soul. When we run to our own coping mechanisms, our own management of ourselves, when we have a struggle, we are running and enslaving our own souls. We're running back to bondage. When all the while Jesus is there waiting to do what Tisa talked about, to equip us. We have to trust him, and he's there with us. I had this whole dialogue with him about slavery because I'm reading a book right now that's a fiction book that takes place in the Civil War, and there's so many incredible stories. There's so many moving stories about slaves who had such a beautiful relationship with Jesus in the midst of so much suffering, you know. And I, I was talking with him about all this, and he said, you know, some, some of them in these stories I've read were still angry, and, they, and he was telling me, yeah, their master was their anger. It wasn't the master, the physical person who owned them as a slave. Their master was their bitterness, was their anger. But then there were others who knew their master was Jesus, so it didn't even matter what happened and who said they owned them or their master was Jesus, and so they were free. And they had this extremely intimate, beautiful relationship with Jesus that was, you know, that they experienced all sorts of comfort from him. Their needs were met in tremendous ways, you know, more so than the, the plantation owners usually because they knew Jesus was their master. And so he was saying it, our comfort and our having our needs met really comes down to who are we making master over our own souls. And we have got to recognize that our souls are not that crazed circus animal that needs to be tamed before we bring him to Jesus. You know, it's not like the un our soul is not the unwanted, troubled part of us that we want to get rid of or we need to, you know, to uh, drive like a like a um, a lion tamer or something, you know, trying to make it act just right all the time. We don't, our souls are considered precious to Jesus. He made us three-part beings body, soul, and spirit, because he liked all three parts of us. He didn't say, hey, if you can get this one part under control, I'm going to love and cherish the other two parts. It's the whole of us. But I know for me, I'm an over-responsible, and so I tend to over-manage. I tend to really over-manage my own soul my own emotions and try to keep them under wraps and keep them to behave, you know, behaving right. And don't let them do this and don't let it trigger me to do that so that I could act just right all the time. And he is so tired of that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work for one thing, you know, but it keeps my soul in bondage. It says, I'm saying to Jesus, I would rather that Pharisee be a master over my soul than you, Jesus, when you paid the ultimate price and are here standing by me always saying, can I be master today? Can I be master in this moment? What we trust him with to lead us in, he nourishes. And so he's inviting us into that. Remember, we talked about the extreme emancipation. Tisa uh, preached on that not long ago of setting our souls free into true parented, parenting into true fatherhood instead of trying to just manage us all ourselves or let the religious laws of the day manage our behavior, you know, all this other management, anything that it's not Jesus and not Papa. He's wanting us to emancipate our souls and, and step into true parenting and fatherhood from him. He's really, 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 really excited about inviting you into that. And he brought me through a whole personal process where he showed me, he, he, he talked to the manager slash protector first part of me said he was sending that manager and me. Remember when we talked about the manager protector sending her on a vacation and he was going to just refresh her and restore her and then give her dreams about her destiny because he had a whole other plan for her. It was a really beautiful 
encounter, and he wants to do that for any of your managers and protectors, too. And the last thing I want to share is just really interesting. It, the Holy Spirit kept bringing it to my mind last time, and I never did figure out what he was talking about, but I know there's something on this tonight. But in the Civil War time period book that I'm reading, there's some people that are, you know, they're soldiers, so they're they're doing drills after drills after drills, and they're annoyed by all these drills. And this phrase came up that they, one of the things they were doing in drills was learn how to dress the line. Well, I never really knew what that meant, but it stood out to me the other day that when Tisa was looking up the equipping word in the original language, and it had a bunch of different definitions, that the word dress was in there. And so I just, I don't know what, it, I couldn't figure out what it meant, but dress the line is the same as equipping, okay? So I looked it up, and in the Civil War period of time, that term, dress the line, and actually had to do with how they, and I, if anybody knows more about this than I do, just forgive me if I butcher it, but this is the basic premise that I understood. They would march, you know, in lines, so side by side, and it was important, their whole battle strategy at that time was for everyone to be um, side by side. In fact, elbows were supposed to be touching and all shooting in one direction. Okay? So it was so important that they not have any gaps. And so what would happen in battle, they, some of them would get shot or get injured and fall down. And they would have to dress the line meant step to your left or step to your right to, to get back into a tight elbow-to-elbow -elbow position to, to battle from. And so that picture speaks of unity to me. And when you talk about equipping us as a group to be effective in spiritual warfare, to be effective in taking ground for the kingdom of God, and this equipping actually means this dressing where we step closer together in unity and we go forward in unity, and we, we tend to the needs of our brothers and sisters on either side of us so that we stay connected, you know, so it really speaks to this community, but, but also in our own personal lives, you know, we have areas of, that we still, we battle in, we've been talking about it, right, and there's hardships that come up. If I don't let Jesus equip me on a certain matter that comes up, on a certain day, and I just manage that myself, or I let the religious spirit speak to that, or whatever I do, then I'm not going to be re-equipped in that area, and I'm not going to be able to dress the line. I will be operating myself as a fragmented force, because we've got to step back and dress the line. you got to get elbow to elbow, right? I need all the parts of me to be side by side equipped so this idea of dressing the line is what he's wanting to do in equipping. And so that's just another, I thought, a really incredible picture. And maybe that will mean even more to you about what he's wanting to do. So we want to be dress the line and be equipped personally, but then as a tribe also experience that equipping together so that we stay in an effective battle formation. Just dressing the line. He has thought of it all, hasn't he? He thought of it all. It's so incredible. So, Papa, I just thank you that you have for, from since the beginning of all time, you, you prepared us for the equipping process. There is not one need among us that you are not prepared to equip us for. There is not one need that you aren't prepared to meet. There's not one pain that you aren't prepared to comfort. There's not one sickness that you aren't prepared to heal. You already have it all. You already have it all. Our, the same moment, he was telling me this in worship, the same moment he prophesied your destiny, he prophesied victory over every battle. At the exact same time, they are not exclusive from each other. They go together in unity. Your destiny and victory were prophesied. It was already provided for. So, Papa, we just say thank you tonight that you are so well equipped yourself. There is no fragmenting in who you are. There is no lack in who you are. You are more than able to fight our battles for us and to equip us in every place that we need it. So I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to 
change our perspective on these moments where we have a trigger, where we have a trauma, where we have a hurt, where we have a sorrow, where we have a sickness, where we have a need of any kind. Change our perspective to do what Shudi talked about and to see that that's a moment we are blessed because we are children of God. We are sons and daughters who are already recipients of the victory that was prophesied into our future when our destiny was prophesied, when it was proclaimed that we would live on this earth at this point in time. So help us to see those moments and to run into your arms, to just be ecstatic and enthusiastic and have momentum to lay down our old ways, to lay down all of our orphan tools, all of the religious spirit stuff, all of the t- the tasking or the act- actions or, or um, things that we think we have to do to redeem ourselves, that we would just lay it all down and run into your arms so that we could be so satisfied, so fulfilled in our need. Make it so that we are not even aware of our needs anymore because they are so instantly filled by our pro- by our running to you. Make it seamless, Papa, that we feel a need, that we have a lack, that we have a situation comes up and it instantly becomes a moment where you have fulfilled something in us and there's no gap in that moment. Shorten the time frame for us, Papa, of us experiencing the need or experiencing the fear or experiencing the sickness and you meeting that need. Shorten that time for us. I know you want to do that in this season. At this, in this kingdom age on earth, you are wanting us to be the ones who go out and testify of how you did that for us, to speak to other people and testify that what you did long ago that's recorded in history is something that you will do again for the person we're speaking to. So equip us for this season, for this age, for this moment in time. Equip us to be equippers of others with the truth of your testimony and the power of your fathering heart over us. So we just say yes to you tonight, Papa. We say yes, yes, yes to all that you've taught us tonight, all that you've invited us into. Holy Spirit, make it a personal thing for each person. Give them dreams. Give them visions. Give them people to say other words. Put billboards up, commercials on the TV, whatever it has to happen to make it personal and make this a a process that comes alive in them. So we just say thank you, Papa. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.